Hear now the reading. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Father, would you illuminate our hearts now with your spirit as we come to your word preached. Lord, would you move words of the sermon? Would you nourish our hearts that we might see Christ more clearly and apply him in our lives? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we looked at a beatitude regarding uh, mourning our sin and the consequences uh, of death. And uh, we have uh, the promise there in verse 4 of being uh, comforted now and also eternally, regardless of, of the pain that we face now because of our sin or even physical death. And here, with regards to meekness, uh, one could argue that you have the, the three uh, beatitudes of need that these first three are recognizing uh, the immense need that even a disciple of Christ has. Uh, this morning, looking at the beatitude of meekness uh, or humility or that of being lowly is uh, very significant uh, in the life of a believer. So, same outline as last week. We're going to be looking firstly at our character, uh, which is hopefully of meekness. Uh, secondly, our promise, which is that we will inherit uh, the earth, and then our call to cultivate this beatitude uh, now in our life. Firstly, uh, on our character of meekness, uh, I have to ask, well, exactly what does that mean? What is it? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones defines it. Meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. The man who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Uh, John Stott comments to say that this idea of meekness, it makes us gentle, humble, sensitive, patient in all of our dealings with others. So those are kind of fruits of, of meekness, uh, being uh, forgiving, being patient, being gentle. So based on these two definitions, one could probably say that meekness has something to do with ourselves before God and ourselves before other people. Now before God, we, if we're meek or humble, we recognize that we are in fact lowly and that in our relationship with God, we are only receivers. We don't really give God anything except sin that needs to be dealt with. So with relationship to God in heaven, uh, we are receivers. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? There's a caveat there. Everything that we have is a gift. Something that we have received that we may not even really deserve. James 1.17, same thing. Every good 
And every perfect gift is from above. I've not earned anything. I don't don't deserve anything from God. Everything is simply a gift. So therefore, my posture before God must change to that of humility, of meekness, of gratitude, of thanksgiving, if that's truly how we view Him. Meekness, in a sense, it becomes submission before God and His will for our lives. So everything that we have is from Him, but at the same time, if I am humble, if I am meek before the Lord, I'm quick to recognize that He's right about whatever's going on in my life, about whatever circumstance I find myself in. I can trust Him with anything that's happening in the future. And I'm willing to submit to His will rather than my own because I can admit that He knows better than me. He's God and I'm not. That's the posture of meekness before God. What about others? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. That would be a, a summary, in a sense, I think, of humility or meekness. Not thinking less of myself, thinking of myself less. I'm not the point in my interpersonal relationships. My needs are not the point. What I desire is not the point. I'm willing and I'm able to think not simply of myself, not simply of my own needs, but the needs of my neighbor. Uh, As a session, we would like to say that this means that we are outward facing. I don't have to take care of myself all the time, 24-7. I'm not consumed with myself. I'm, I'm turned outward. I don't think I'm better than everyone. I don't think that my agenda is better than everyone's. I'm humble. I'm meek, which turns into gentleness, patience, the desire and the ability to listen, to forgive, and to repent. We literally, in humility, lower ourselves and sacrificially serve. Holistically. Uh, But another question regarding this with our character is, what keeps me from doing that? Because I don't do that all the time. It's a struggle. Just like for me, as it was for these men, these disciples receiving this sermon. Well, we're obviously called to this, so why do we struggle with it? Well, with regarding our, our relationship to God, why do we struggle with meekness to God? To put it succinctly, I think I know better than God. I can plan my life better than God. If He would simply listen to to my strategy for my job, for my family, well, we wouldn't be in this predicament or we wouldn't be suffering like this. There's, There's pride that enters into our hearts because deep down, we want to be God. We want to have total control. 
But there's an arrogance with that to say, I can do it better than he can or is. This bleeds into a distrust of God. I think there's something he's not giving me that I need. We have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The very words of the serpent to Eve. Did God really say? Did, did He really say that? Eat of this, don't eat of that. Really? That literally what He meant? What's, what's Satan doing there with Eve? He's sowing a seed of doubt in the character of God. Well, he's not really good. You, you may be able to do this, and you could do it better than God. He's withholding something from you that you desperately need. Don't trust him. Pride seeps into our life, and we actually think, he's not good, I can do it better. Meekness flees our hearts. Pride enters in. Men's Bible study saw a little bit of this, I think, with regard to the example of Leviticus chapter 18. Boy, I don't want to go into all the details of Leviticus 18. Um, when I'm ready to do that, I'll have Sean come up and do it for me. Um, it's messy that I mean, Moses is receiving these words from God in Leviticus 18 about 21st century sexual ethics of what we can and can't do with our bodies. And he's saying, do this and don't do this. This is what all the pagans do. Don't do this with your bodies. What's, what's God saying to Moses to say to the, to the people, trust me with all of your needs and your desires and do it as I have commanded. But in our own hearts, you pick your favorite sin issue. We say, well, I, actually, I need that. I, I actually need to cheat and get more money. I, I actually need to, to do this uh, sexually when it's not commanded at all in Scripture. It's forbidden. We're, we're saying to God, there's something good you're not letting me have. What's the consequence, though? Levit Leviticus 18. The very land will vomit them out. Because the paradox that this beatitude is talking about is we're going to do it God's way and submit to Him and give up everything that we think we need and trust Him. The alternative is that we lose everything. The Israelites are told, are you going to lose the whole land? Provision, farming, jobs, occupation. If you don't obey me and trust me and do things as I say and not as you would like, you will end up losing everything. And so the character of meekness, I would say, is of uttermost importance in the Christian life. All of these beatitudes are certainly very significant. One could argue the fourth one is the center of the beatitudes to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We won't hunger and thirst for righteousness if we're not humble. And I would argue, too, just speaking for myself, uh, this is the main, one of, one of the main things that I hope for and look for 
and current and future officers. Meekness. Humility. The desire and the ability to, to trust the Lord with everything. To not, to not have pride before Him or other people. That's exactly why it's here, the Beatitudes. Jesus is talking to the disciples to say, well, you're going to go and pastor and plant churches. These are the Beatitudes, the characteristics that need to be in the churches because these are the characteristics that are of Jesus. But pride was there from the very beginning with the eating of the fruit of the tree that was forbidden. Because in Adam and Eve's heart, they said, I can't trust the Lord. I know better. He's withholding something from me. He's not good. That's rooted in pride. It has to be rooted out in the Christian's life continually. How does that mesh, though, with this promise? Because the beatitude continues, well, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Like I did the last two weeks, I'm going to look at this promise of inheriting the earth with the now and the not yet. Because all of these promises in the Beatitudes have already occurred, but they're also in the future tense, in the original language. So they, they're talking about the future too. Well, what exactly is he talking about? If you think about Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything and called it good, he gave Adam charge over all the land and cultivating it and working it, occupying it, work itself in cultivation, naming even all of the animals. But he said repeatedly, it's all good. The land is good. Everything that I create is good. And then it's tainted by sin, so much so that Paul says in Romans 8 that even until the res final resurrection, the creation is groaning under sin. Everything is affected. Everything was good. But everything has been affected and tainted by sin. How is it going to be fixed? How, how has it already been fixed now? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus entered in to the land that was tainted by sin that's groaning. Everybody and everything is groaning. It's all our fault because of our pride and our sin. But Jesus, being gentle or meek and lowly in heart, lowered himself from the heavens as the second person of the Trinity, not giving up his deity, but taking on our humanity and completely keeping the law in humble submission to his Father's will. He is the ultimate meek picture of a servant, a suffering servant, Isaiah will say, who entered into immeasurable pain and difficulty 
ultimately on the cross, which has subjugated Satan and all of his minions, which has started to reverse the curse that is on all of creation. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of reversing the curse. It's, it's now, it's already happened. Colossians 3.1, Paul will already say this. He lowered himself, as in Jesus, and was raised for our sake. So Paul says, we have already been raised with Christ. Already. If you believe in the Lord Jesus this morning, you, you've already been raised. He's the one who can give the inheritance because he owns everything. He has cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist says. He has an inheritance that's already waiting, but he's already given it to us. How has he already given it to us? How do we have an inheritance right now that we can't lose? As I said earlier in the announcements, Ephesians, 3, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we receive it. You have an eternal inheritance right now. The idea of inheriting land is a picture of ultimate provision of everything that you will ever need has already been given to you that you can't lose right now in the person of Jesus Christ because he paid for all of your pride. He paid for all of your lack of meekness. He paid for all of your sins. And then he was raised. And Paul says, you've been raised spiritually into the heavens. You can't lose that because you didn't earn it. You have possession of an eternal inheritance now. But we would all recognize, again, in this text, that's not yet. It's not fully realized. Psalm 37 says this, uh, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. All the way back, all the, all, all the way to the Psalms is already this picture that there is rampant evil and wickedness. That we say, well now, Lord Jesus, I have this inheritance, but they're getting everything. They're winning everything. I'm suffering. The church seems to be crumbling from the inside out. There's persecution. But this promise in the Psalms says, look, and, and, and the evildoer, the wicked, will be no more. But the meek will inherit the land, have eternal life. Isaiah 29 says the same thing. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Evil is temporary, even if it wins the day today. The idea that, that power, pure power, Pure power now is, is everything. The prophet Isaiah and the psalmist say no. That's temporary. John Stott says the same principle operates today. The, the godless may boast and throw their weight about, yet real possession will lose their grasp. The meek, on the other hand, 
Although they may be deprived and disenfranchised by others, yet because they know what it is to live and reign with Christ, can enjoy and even possess the earth which belongs to Christ, then on the day of the regeneration, there will be a new heaven and a new earth for them to inherit. There's something better that's coming. Better than all the power, all the wealth, all the, all, everything that we base our fantasies on can't compare. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where there, there will be no sin, there will be no suffering, there will be no death, which is obviously making reference to John's revelation in chapter 21, that the end of all things is an undoing of the curse, where the new heavens and the new earth descend with a physical Jesus, where we will be with Him, where we will look at Him face to face and say, everything that you asked me to trust you with, every command that you asked me to uphold that I thought was not fair, makes perfect sense. Nothing else was worth this. That's the not yet of inheriting the land. Everything is provided for. There is no sin. That's where righteousness dwells only because Jesus is there with us. He's already given me everything that I need. In His person and work, He's guaranteed the future of this inheritance because He's given me His own spirit. The third person of the Trinity. He's promised me more than I can imagine. He's given me eternal life. So now what? What's the call? Confident meekness before God would be the first call on our life. Okay, I'm, I'm going, I've already inherited everything. I, I can't lose my inheritance. He, he's given me everything I ever need now. So confidently I can grow in my meekness before Him. We can lower ourselves before Him in repentance and trust Him more easily. Of course we can trust Him. He sent His only Son to die on our behalf. Why on earth would I not trust the Lord? Well, I've got this going on in my life, and I'm dealing with that, and this is happening. Does the Lord not care? Of course He does. He entered life and humanity and death itself and defeated it. Of course He does. I can trust Him. I can lower myself to Him. He's worthy. We can quickly obey God's command to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It all starts with repentance with humility before God, and then there's a healing that spreads to every other dimension of our life, pictured with land in the Old Testament. But there has to be humility before God. We recognize, maybe with the Lord, we don't know what's best. We can trust Him, even in our prayers. Larger Catechism 185 says we pray with humble submission to His will. Why? I'm wrong 
most of the time, especially in a conversation with Jesus about my wife, about my children, about the direction of this church, about everything. Humble submission continually before God himself. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Why? The humble listen are teachable. Lack pride. James 1.21, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. See, this is all over Scripture. <laughs> receive the word with humility, with meekness. This has to be characteristic of every day of your life as a Christian. Always something new to learn, especially from the Lord and His word. Receive it. Receive it with meekness and humility. There's a joke at seminary that when you graduate, you get a master's of divinity. And the reality is you've just started your journey of being mastered by divinity. No one masters divinity. You're continually mastered by divinity through submission, through listening to the Lord. But then finally, that, that spills over. If I'm willing to trust the Lord in confident meekness and repentance and, and a right view of myself, how on earth is that not going to affect my relationships? There's, there should be confident meekness to others. We are a servant of others. We grow in patience, knowing we don't need to be the center of attention. We're often wrong. We're quick to repent and to forgive. Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Mimicking what he said to the Corinthians. This is so countercultural in the 21st century. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. And humility count others more significant than yourselves. But, but I am the most significant in my own life. I do have wonderful things to say and good ideas. But Paul is saying to the Philippians, that's, that's selfish. Grow. Grow in humility toward how you view other people. That you're not the best or the brightest or the smartest. Uh, I was listening to something this week that also challenged me. Um, I'm going to be an interim pastor at Christ's Covenant. I'm an interim pastor. What, is, what does that mean? Well, in case you get too excited, I'm not planning on leaving. But one day I will. I'll either move, move away or I'll get promoted to glory. And so you, you should never equivocate a good sermon with Jim's sermon only. Which means that if we're going to cultivate a, a, a humble ecosystem in this church that's scripture-based, i got to be out of this pulpit probably 20% of the year that you'd listen to somebody else. That's kind of hard to do because i got to leave like 10 Sundays doing something else. But that's, that's part of leadership. I'm not the point. 
This isn't my church. It, it's Jesus' church. Every ruling elder is an interim ruling elder. Every deacon is an interim deacon. We're not here for our sake, the front of the bulletin says. It's, it's for his sake. It's his mission. He, he's the point. So that, that changes how we hold onto stuff, how we interact with other people, how we view ourselves. But how can we do this? How can we continue to cultivate this? Paul continues in Philippians 2, and brothers and sisters, every fall during spring tra uh, fall training for Covenant College soccer, the seniors and the coach would pick a chapter, a half a chapter, we would recite it before every soccer game by memory. This was the first one I ever did, Philippians chapter 2. I can be lacking in selfish ambition because Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But therefore, God has highly exalted him. He went down. But then he was brought up. That means you can go down. You can lose everything. But you're going to be brought up. Just like he was. A great Old Testament picture of, of humility would be Moses. Moses in Numbers chapter 12 uh, is told of this. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. But in chapter 12, he's challenged by Miriam and Aaron because he married a black Ethiopian woman. But this is Moses' response to God's judgment on Miriam, who had leprosy. He said, Oh God, please heal her. Please. That's humility. But, but I've been wronged. She's causing me to suffer. Oh, Lord, heal her. Please. Which is what he basically said to God in Exodus 3.11. Moses, I'm going to use you. Go. I'm going to use you. Go. He says, who am I? Literally, who am I? Who are you? Forgiven prideful sinners who are called to walk in Jesus' footsteps in meekness, willing to lower ourselves in service to know that one day we will be exalted to an eternal inheritance that we already now partly possess, that we cannot lose. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, we ask for your grace and your mercy as we pursue meekness. That we would continue to pursue this for the rest of our lives. But that we would do so looking to the one who was meek on our behalf and lowered himself in submission to God's will. Jesus, you submitted yourself to your Father. We submit ourselves, our lives, our jobs, our bodies, our futures to you because you hold it as your Father in heaven already holds you. Christ, and we pray. Amen.